how's that? Is that better? Ken, can you hear me? Okay, Ken can hear me. I think that we're good here. If you would, please join me in Exodus 33. Love you, brother. (laughs) Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, your kindness and your graciousness in revealing yourself to us in it. We pray now that you would condescend to show your glory to us so that we may uh, give to you the worship and the adoration of which you are deserving. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The Christian world, like uh, various other cultures and subcultures, is full of its own language and uh, jargon. We've got words and phrases that we throw around like a football without much care or thought into what it is we mean by them or whether or not the person we're talking to knows what it means or if they know what we mean by it. Sometimes we refer to it as Christianese, which is a wonderfully ironic and uniquely Christian term to describe Uh, This lingo that sometimes is a barrier to communicating with non-Christians or even with other Christians. Some of these are terms or phrases that are uh, that our Christian culture coins. Some of them are uh, phrases which have specific biblical meaning or a technical theological meaning. For example, Perhaps you've heard the recent question circling around the congregation of, uh, how would you define holy without using the word holy? If you've been to one of our Wednesday night Bible studies, I'm sure that you've been challenged on this by Paul or Jeremiah asking you to define a word that you've probably taken for granted that you knew what it meant, only to find yourself stumbling. Well, tonight's passage, which is Exodus 33, 18, and 19 is one in which we're going to be concerned with one of those words, which has a uniquely biblical implication and understanding behind it. Whether our Christianese use of it matches the Lord's use of it or not, I'll let you decide for yourself. That word is glory. So if you would please join me in Exodus 33, 18, and 19. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So Moses wants wants the Lord to show him his glory. Glory is, again, one of these uh, Christianese terms sometimes. I think most of us, when pressed, could probably uh, provide a pretty good dictionary definition, something like uh, a quality or achievement which sets someone or something apart as uniquely special or praiseworthy. My wife's long golden hair, for example, is part of her glory, especially compared with my uh, thinning and rapidly retreating hairline. And the... The famous movie Denzel Washington and Morgan Freeman fight bravely in the Civil War for a nation which despises and 
treats them like second-class citizens because of their skin color, and hence the movie is called Glory. They're set apart as exceptional among the soldiers. But what exactly do do we mean when we talk about the glory of the Lord? What does the Lord answer when Moses asks to see his glory? What is it that he wants man to know about him that sets him apart as uniquely worthy of praise and adoration? Let's take a look at his three-part answer. And then we're going to have some applications for our response to this glory. So, the first part of his answer is that he says, I will make all my goodness to pass before you. Think about all of the beautiful things in this world, rainbows and sunsets and Grand Canyons and sweeping vistas and a pine forest with fresh snow, babies and puppies, some babies and puppies. Think of all that is true and just and right. And the Lord is the author of all of those things, all the secrets of existence that philosophers and artists and poets and musicians, that astronomers and physicists seek to understand, have their origin and their essence, in the essence and nature of this God who is now passing by Moses. All that is in existence and held in perfect harmony is of his mind. The Lord is the source of all goodness, beauty, truth, and justice. And though we are ourselves steeped in sin, And the world that the Lord has created is corrupted by it, yet we see enough of his uh, beauty and his righteous nature in the creation. We see enough of it to know that he must be sublimely good and beautiful and righteous by nature to be the creator and master of it all. He is absolute in his perfections, most perfect as the old divines would say adding the redundant most to perfect to emphasize that he is a class of perfection which admits no equal or peer. The Lord says to Moses that he's going to make all of his goodness and righteousness and all its perfection to pass by him. And the text makes it uh, sound as if it will indeed pass by Moses and that he will catch a glimpse of that goodness My wife and I uh, were at a bit of a loss considering what that might have looked like, but uh, suffice to say, it must have been breathtaking. And so this goodness is the first part of his answer to Moses' prayer to see his glory. The second part is that the Lord says, I will proclaim my name before you, the Lord. The name in Hebrew culture is a very intimately associated with the individual. And I mean, we get it. I'm Samuel Gottstein. That's the designation you give to the man you see and hear in front of you right now. There's a unique set of qualities and characteristics and appearances that make up who I am in your mind when the name comes up. I'm not Josh Arias or Julian Hellman. Those are uh, two different other guys with different qualities. But in Hebrew, it's also the case that the name often carries a meaning with it 
that reflects the person's character. As we've heard, of course, uh, that when you have uh, Lord in that uppercase font in your English translation, it's indicating that what we're looking at is a transliteration of the Tetragrammaton or the name revealed to Moses from the burning bush, Yahweh, I am, or I am that I am. So the Lord's going to make all of his goodness pass before Moses. He's going to declare his name. This is a kind of way of saying this is who I am. All of this goodness, I am this, and I will be known by this. I will be known through all the earth as perfect in goodness, beauty, righteousness, and truth. To pronounce his name, I am, in the wake of all of his goodness is to announce his opposition of all that is contrary to that goodness and his commitment to see the sin and corruption that twists his creation wiped out in judgment. He is not sin and lawlessness. He is righteousness and goodness. And as creator of everything, he stands at enmity with all that mocks his name. Finally, the Lord declares, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. The Lord has made his perfection and beauty to pass by. He has declared his name and his commitment to see that all that bears the fingerprint of his name rightly reflects that goodness. And now we come to the pinnacle of his glory. The Lord could simply choose to make his commitment to his goodness known through judging and destroying all of creation and making it anew without sin as sovereign creator of the universe. He is free to do that and would be perfectly right to do so. But instead, it is his glory that he condescends to show grace and mercy to sinful man. To Moses and Israel, he didn't just make his goodness known to them through uh, the goodnesses of creation, but through his own self-revelation by demonstrating his mastery over all things and signs and miraculous wonders at the Exodus, and his moral perfection known by giving the law with its perfect righteousness and its penalties for sin. He makes himself known to them by his personal name, which Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did not know him by. But he makes his glory known to them by his choosing them to be a people set apart for his own, his covenanting with them to bless them and multiply them, to settle them in a good land and there dwell with them and to bring a Messiah through them to redeem them in the land even though they were a sinful people made even more sinful by the clarity of the revelation they had of his goodness and his goodwill towards them, he has committed himself to save them. He may rightly say, I will judge whom I will judge, I will show justice to whom I will show justice, but of his own free choosing, he chooses to show grace and mercy to whomever he wills, so that his glory may be seen in such benevolence towards a totally undeserving people.
So on Sinai, Moses sees the glory of the Lord to be that this most perfect, most good God who has a jealous regard for his name and his glory counts it to be the very height of that glory that while he will destroy sin and sinners, he will have a loving regard for those whom he chooses, showing himself to be patient and long-suffering, full of loving kindness from generation to generation. His goodness is indeed seen by the, the lovely things of creation, but to those who truly seek him out, he reveals himself by name and covenants with them and reveals that he is a God full of mercy and love. And we see this glory yet even more clearly in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Lord's name was declared on Sinai, I am, but at the Jordan River, as Jesus is being baptized, his voice is heard saying, I am like him. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And his goodness is most clearly seen in the, the harmless and holy person of Christ, his patience and kindness, his great works of mercy, his calling men to believe in him and be saved. We can have a full assurance that God desires to be reconciled with sinners in him. We see his willingness to be a sacrifice for the sins of man, dying the shameful death of the cross to accomplish his commitment to grace and mercy. Would an earthly king give his own life so that a burdensome and violent band of rebels should not perish in their mutiny? And yet the Lord gave his son to propitiate his wrath against us sinners so we may be reconciled to him, to be humiliated and degraded at the hands of men, dying the death of the cross as one accursed by God. He would have us know that this redemption of sinners from so pure and righteous a God is the crowning jewel of his glory. And so... You know, four applications we can make from this revelation of the glory of God to Moses on Sinai. And the first is to be, uh, to learn from Moses' example in his prayer. We heard today from the Lord, he says, ask anything in my name, it will be given to you. And Moses' prayer is an example of praying big. He's swung for the fences on this one. There should never be a point in our Christian life where we feel content to rest on our laurels as though we've already arrived. I think about all that Moses has seen and experienced up to that point, the, the burning bush and the exodus. He's seen uh, rebellions swallowed up through earthquakes, uh, people killed by burning serpents. But still, he, he wants to see the glory of the Lord. He wants to know the Lord even more. And God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek his face. It's part of the glory of the Lord that he conceals the true beauty of his nature. And the glory of men to seek, to know, and to understand that beauty. So, Christian, no matter how well you think you know the Lord continue to know him more and more. 
There's no end to the riches of his glory to be enjoyed in fellowship with the Father, Son, and Spirit in his word and in prayer. The second application would be to walk in a manner fitting of someone who has seen the glory of the Lord. Moses, it said, was the meekest of men. There was nothing about him of pride or boastfulness from the intimate knowledge and fellowship that he enjoyed with the Lord. We can see from our text that the only appropriate response would be meekness and humility before God and man. Who can boast of anything when they have seen the goodness of the Lord in the person of Christ? Who can know that it is the glory of the Lord to show grace and mercy to whom he will, and that it truly is the grace of all graces for him to give his son for sinners such as us. It is true that the world may hate and revile you, uh, thinking that you're, uh, they might imagine that you're set apart and and special in and of yourselves and, and prideful, Moses faced similar reviling during Korah's rebellion or when Aaron and Miriam grumbled against him. But if they come, let it be because our meetings with the Lord has left us with a bright and shining countenance that they cannot bear to look at and not because of any proudness of spirit. Third application will be to not be ashamed or embarrassed at the fact that the Lord is free to have mercy on whom he will. We very often get the term free grace twisted to mean free for whomever wants it when what it's really indicating is that God is free to give his grace to whom he wills. That is what grace means. It is not and cannot be merited. It is true that whoever believes in Christ will not perish, but it is also true that no one will believe in him unless he first does a work in them. We are by nature sinful and contrary to the goodness of the Lord, and that goodness is contrary to us and calls out for our destruction. The Lord is free to show grace and mercy to whomever he wills to Take them and give them new eyes to see and new ears to hear and a new heart to love and to submit to him. He's not obligated to do it for anyone. It is his glory because he freely chooses to do so and condescends to sinners and achieves it at such a cost. Now, to some, that is a, a scandal. It's unfair and unloving. How can God not offer it to everyone? So whenever we are speaking to a friend or a family member who is not convinced that it's the case that God is free in the matters of his grace, maybe they'll lob the dreaded C word out there, Calvinism. We should lovingly but firmly remind them the true situation man finds himself in This passage provides a a nice blueprint for such conversations. We remind them of the goodness and perfections of God who created everything and his jealous regard for his name and commitment to destroying everything that is contrary to his goodness and his glory in choosing to show mercy and grace to whomever he pleases. 
fourth and final application is regarding our assurance and our comfort. If you're a weak or a fearful Christian or doubting or having difficulties, this passage should be a, a great encouragement to you to know the goodness of the Lord and to tremble before him is in and of itself a good and gracious gift which he gives. There are billions of people in the world who he has made who see the evidence of his goodness all around them yet don't have the good sense to fear him on account of their own sin. They imagine their evil's not so bad or maybe God grades on a curve. Or maybe there is no God and all that beauty and goodness and truth all around them isn't really there. It's just uh, the assignment of meaning made by uh, society to various things. Well, if, if you are convinced that the Lord is good and that makes you afraid because you see your sinfulness in light of his goodness, then take comfort in knowing that God considers saving people such as yourself a matter of his glory. He sent his son to redeem sinners who are humbled before him. He will surely accomplish it. This goes for you young people too. Perhaps you're not yet convinced of the perfect loveliness and goodness of the Lord and of your sinfulness. But perhaps as, as we've been going through the Gospel of John, your hearts have been smitten with Christ and are becoming more and more aware of your own sinfulness. Very soon we'll be hearing about his time in Gethsemane and his suffering on Calvary. You'll see the terrible penalty for sin against so good a God. And to you especially, I would like to say, do not be afraid uh, to pray as Moses did. You may be assured that to all those whom the Lord has given a heart to fear and to love him, he will show them his glory in saving sinners, that he has committed all that he is, even the giving of his own son, towards this end, that he may receive all glory and praise. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have decided to glorify yourself through the saving of an undeserving people at the cost of your own son, that we may see in him your excellencies and your perfections. And we pray now that you would conform us more to his image, that you would hasten the day when we would be with him in glory. We pray this all in his name. Amen.